Do you struggle with pride? (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, pride, right? It's a big deal, right? I mean, I mean, are you proud of being proud, right? <laughs> uh, you, you, you know, I, it's just a reality of our world, right? We, uh, I think it's a reality of being human, too, right? We, we, we just really like ourselves, right? We, we just think that we're really a big deal. Um, and it's just really easy to fall into that. Uh, it's really easy for us to... To look around at others and, you know, we're just, well, you know, I mean, they're okay, but I mean, they're not me. I mean, they don't, they don't know what I know, you know, I, you know, pride's a big deal. It, and, and we, I think this is our constant struggle. This, this is the battle we continue to fight every day. That to, to somehow see ourselves in the appropriate light instead of in our glorified light. You know, because there's the other side of this too, right? And, you know, sometimes we, we think we're pretty humble. <laughs> right? Like, you know, we can really beat ourselves up. I, I, I'm a really horrible person. I'm just, oh, I'm just all, I, 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 yeah, just evil. I stay away from me. I'm just the worst ever. You know what I'm saying? And, and that is just as much pride. Because pride's that way, right? Pride is me focused. Whether I'm great or I'm horrible, it's all about I'm. This is the battle that we have as human beings to somehow fight against that pride. It's that pride that keeps us from saying yes to Jesus. Many people, unfortunately, are spending an eternity in hell because they couldn't get to that point where they recognize that the world didn't revolve around them. But even for those of us who have, thankfully, at least at one point in our life, bowed our knee to Jesus as Lord, it's still a struggle. Pride keeps us from doing the things that he calls us to. Pride keeps us from enjoying all that he has for us. Pride is the obstacle. The life of freedom is a a life without pride. Because we're able to walk through this world not thinking that we have something to offer but also not thinking we have nothing to offer. We have Jesus. It's all about him. He is Lord. He is sovereign. He is in control. May God be the only one glorified. 
Genesis chapter 9. We're going to actually go all the way through chapter 10 today as well, but I am going to spare you the curse, I guess, of uh, having to listen to me try to fumble through all the names of chapter 10. Um, because it's, again, a genealogy, but we will kind of at least refer to that genealogy a little bit in this message. Uh, But I do want to read the last part of uh, Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 29. So you can follow along with me if you'd like. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And also he said, Blessed Be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jepheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. You know, it doesn't take long for us humans to mess things up right? I mean, Noah steps out of the ark and stumbles and falls on his face, right? I mean, this is amazing, right? I mean, God has just wiped out all of humanity, all of the creatures on the earth with a huge flood, and you would think Noah might go, oh, yeah, I might want to be careful now, right? No, but he just fumbles and stumbles, and right away in the story, we find Noah sinning with his drunkenness and laying naked and just exposed in his tent. This is a biblical actual pattern. We have flawed heroes, Right? I mean, like Noah's like this hero of our faith, right? Like Noah, that great guy that God chose, you know, and, and he did the ark. He built this crazy ark, and, and everybody thought he was crazy, but he still did it, right? I mean, this guy is a man of faith. I mean, he's in Hebrews chapter of faith, right? I mean, it's amazing, this guy, right? He's this guy we look up to, yet he's so flawed. He, he, he is not, <laughs> right, that great of a guy. But this is a biblical pattern, right? Later on, you know, Joseph, right? And Abram. It starts with Abram, right? Abram's not a great guy either, right? You know, God calls him and says, hey, follow me. And so, yeah, I guess he follows him. But man, is he a liar and he's just, you know, scheming. He's just, he's not a good guy. Does some bad stuff. And then Joseph, right? I mean, this talk about arrogance and pride, Hey, brothers, I had this great dream last night. Yeah, you guys are all bound down to me, right? I mean, seriously, what is going on with this Joseph guy? But then you get to Moses. 
He's a murderer. He's in exile because of his murder. And God uses him and then David too, right? Adulterer and a murderer. God uses these flawed people. They're, they're our, our heroes of the faith, if you will, but they're messed up. And so we can sometimes ask the question, right? You know, once we kind of get to know these stories a little bit more, we can ask, God, why are you using these messed up people? Because that's all he had to choose from. <laughs> right? We're all messed up. This is the reality, right? We all, are, are, none of us are perfect. God doesn't choose us because we're so great. We're messed up. We're imperfect. We're fallen. We do dumb things. Adulterers maybe, and maybe even murderers, and at least we're liars all the time. And of course, we're just filled with pride. But God also, it's amazing, through using flawed people, he does get the glory. I think that's a big part of the Bible and the stories that it tells us. It's not to make us followers of David. It's to make us followers of God. That he... He can use fallen people. He's the one who gets the glory. But I do think that each of our heroes of the faith do have one thing in common. It's a tender heart. Of course, we know David was chosen because of his heart. A man after God's own heart. And although we are sinful and messed up people, we too are chosen because of our heart. The one thing I think that separates the blessed from the cursed in our world is simply this, our heart. What's our heart condition? And that was certainly true of Noah and his sons. Ham, of course, this strange story here, it doesn't give us much detail. And, and we, we as human beings, we love to extrapolate and try to come up with a bunch of different ideas and what the actual sin is here. You know, that Ham sees his father's nakedness um, and all this kind of thing. And I'm not going to get into all of those different potential uh, realities. The, the, reality, the, the most important reality is that he sinned. And he sinned against his father. And it seems obvious that Ham disrespected his father. And it seems obvious that he was prideful about it. I, I, I think part of the conversation that when Ham sees his father's nakedness and then he goes to his brothers and tells them about it, I, I don't think it was like, oh my gosh, dad is naked. I think, you know, probably it was like, dad, he is so drunk and naked in there. Oh my gosh, that guy, he's horrible. I can't even believe what God chose him. This is serious. You know, I think there was this pride and almost this bragging about the shame of his father. And so when Noah comes to, he declares a curse against the descendants of Ham. (laughs) 
And we see in this curse, first of all, because you know, I want to get into this curses and blessings thing, and because we can, I think, sometimes get a misunderstanding of what's going on. And so I want to dive into that a little bit. But to start with, Noah's here is, first of all, I, I think it's important for us to know, he's, he's declaring what is evil. Like he, he's laying out, you know, a, a line of what is good and what is evil. And he's saying what Ham did was evil. He's, the behavior like this, leads to something. And that's his point. It's like, you know, if you're going to act like Ham, then you're going to have problems, that your life is going to, it's going to experience destruction. You're going to destroy relationships with your God, but also with each other. That behavior like this leads to death is, I think, a big part of what Noah is communicating here. It results in the destruction of relationships. And cursed are those who act like this. It's the natural consequences of our sin. It's unbelievable, but God has created in his wisdom and power, he has created a world that encourages people to live righteously. And so when you live unrighteously, when you do things that are evil and ugly and prideful and self-focused, it results in destruction. It results in death. We learn this from Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of Adam and Eve. But we also see this repeated here now again as creation begins again. Noah now proclaiming the same realities that this kind of behavior leads to death. The descendants of Ham are, will now face the consequences of Ham's sin. And I, I want to briefly read Numbers because, again, this is pointing out, I think, a biblical pattern, biblical reality. Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love forgiving iniquity and transgressions. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Ham's descendants were cursed because of Ham's sin. Ham's descendants, if you know, uh, maybe you know this already, but uh, these are some of the cities and the peoples that came from Ham. Ninevites, the Babylonians, Assyrians, and of course the Canaanites of the promised land that are wiped out by Israel later. So we see that not just Ham was sinful, but indeed his descendants continued to be sinful because we see these evil nations that came out of the line of Ham. But understand that these curses are not just done to the descendants of Ham that they actually result from the descendants of Ham. In other words, the, the curse wasn't forced on all of the descendants, so they had no choice to, you know, to how they're going to live their life. 
The, the curse came down from their father, but they still had a choice whether they would agree with that sinful nature of Ham and live in that or where they would choose to live differently. Ham's descendants had a choice. And this is similar to us in this reality that our parents passed down to us the evil or the good that they have. All of us face this reality, right? It's the power of family. You know, our parents have an incredible influence on us as human beings, as kids, but also as we grow up and become adults. As a youth pastor for 20 years, I saw this up close and personal. (laughs) It was amazing how you could see some of the struggles and the sins of the father that were indeed passed down to their kids. Their perspectives, the way that they saw the world, the behaviors that they would fall into, the temptations that they were sensitive to, it came down from their fathers. You could see it in their parents, and it's also in them. Uh, This is a reality of, again, the way that God has made us, that that our families is what sets normal for us. And we as human beings always want normal. We want to get back to normal. This is why the child who is abused as a kid oftentimes can end up abusing as an adult. Because this is normal. This is how it's supposed to happen. Even though maybe in their minds they say this is evil and wrong, they still have this pull because of what they've experienced when they grew up. And so indeed the sins of the father get passed down to the third and fourth generation. Not because God is forcing those curses on those children, but because those children have grown up under an example that says this is the way to live. A sinful way to live. And so we struggle with that and battle with that as human beings. The natural reactions that we learn in our homes of how to respond to life, how to respond to crisis, how to respond to pain, how to respond to failure, how to respond to success. These things we learn when we're a child. See it even, you know, I think about my own family, like sarcasm is, you know, that's their language we speak, right? That's something I learned as a kid, and now I've passed it on to my kids, right? And, and, and you know, things like that, right? You know, the, how we respond to the world, the things that we, kind of what makes us, right? The characteristics of who we are, we pass on to our kids, and it's hard for our kids to escape the character of their parents, addiction selfishness, lying, presumption, victimhood, abuse, and all of it around pride. In essence, the descendants of Ham had passed down to them from him hard hearts. They not only rebelled against God, but when God confronted them, instead of repentance and humility, they continued their rebellion. They would respond with blame shifting. What about Shem and Jepheth? 
They, it seems pretty clear, loved and respected their father. And when they heard the news from Ham that their father was laying naked, passed out in his tent, instead of continuing to gossip and to laugh about it with Ham and to think, oh, yeah, this is great. Yeah, dad, he's horrible. They recognized, no, 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 wait a second. This is not good. And so they sought to protect their father and to cover his shame. So concerned about seeing his nakedness that they walked into the tent backwards, making sure that they wouldn't just accidentally gaze on the shame of their father. They were humble and they had repentant and tender hearts. And so Noah declares, again, this time what is righteous. Ham, what is, this is, this is evil, this is ugly, this is destructive. But with Shem and Jephthah, this is beautiful, this is good, this is righteous. Behavior like this, he is saying, leads to unity and intimacy. Blessed are those who act like these men. And again, the blessing is the natural consequence from living righteously. Again, God has created a world in his wisdom and power that allows us to be blessed when we follow his principles, when we follow his will, when we do what he calls us to do. This is the right way to act, and God has infiltrated or infused his creation with natural consequences for good. The descendants then of Shem and Jepheth reap the benefits of their father's righteousness, their father's right character, their father's tender heart. The descendants of Shem and Jepheth are blessed. Of course, the main family to be focused on is the Israelites. God's chosen people come from the line of Shem. But again, these blessings are not just automatic and just done to them, but it's done from them. Just like the curses are not forced on everyone, that each individual gets to make that choice, whether to follow in the, follow in the footsteps of their father, so with Shem and his descendants, the same. That the blessing is not forced on us either, that we still have a choice whether we're going to follow in the footsteps of our fathers or reject that and instead follow in the footsteps of Ham. It's these tender hearts that are passed on to our children, a love and respect for the father, the benefit, the blessing of children who grow up in a family that surrenders to Jesus as Lord is tremendous. That they have that recognition that, that what is normal for them is to bow their knee to Jesus as Lord. What is normal for them is to recognize that when they make mistakes, they confess and repent. 
that what is normal is worshiping God. That has a tremendous blessing. And if you would uh, uh, agree with an interpretation of Exodus 20, that it is passed down to a thousand generations, unlike the curse that only goes three or four. Hmm. I want to read... Um, as I move into some tension points, because maybe you're feeling this already, this is a little bit of a tension here, and in the idea of you know what is the curse, um, and and whether that is forced on the generations or not, you know I I, I think we need to uh, this passage I think kind of highlights it very well that that we recognize that. Uh, there are natural consequences for our behaviors, but uh, the curse does not, is not forced on our descendants. Uh, I, I, this is, I think, first of all, natural. We see this in our life, right? I mean, we see, I've seen so many kids that have grown up in these just tremendously dysfunctional and horrible and really just pagan, if you will, uh, homes that come out of that and love Jesus like crazy. And it's just, it's beautiful. And so obviously that curse from the father has not been passed on to them and not that they still don't struggle with sins and the things that they learned in their homes, but they are experiencing the blessing. But we also, those of us who have had Christian families have kids that have grown up in those amazing Christian families. And I saw this as a youth pastor as well. You go, where are you coming up with that? Your family is so amazing. They love Jesus so much. I know they're so solid, yet this individual student or kid takes a different turn and, and does not get to experience the blessings of that family because they choose ham instead. And so the passage here I want to just read real quickly is Exodus 18, 19, and 20. Excuse me, not Exodus, I'm sorry, Ezekiel. Uh, and, he, and he says this, Yet you say, why should, nor, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done this, is, when the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he surely will live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And so it's clear here that the cursing is not so much about gener a, a genetic cursing. It is a reality that having a father who doesn't, a, a parents who don't follow Jesus does create difficulties for us, but we're not guaranteed to follow through with that. We can break that mold. We can enjoy blessing just as the kid who grows up in a blessed family can choose to not accept those blessings. Curses that come not because of sin as well, but because of our responses to sin. All of us sin. Every one of us does. Even those who are blessed abundantly by God, right? I mean, those of us who are in the family of God, we continue to sin, yet we're still blessed because blessings and curses do not become, don't, do not come just because of the sin. They come because of our response to our sin. And those who recognize their sin have a tender heart, are humble before God, and repent of that sin, still receive blessing. Certainly, there are not natural consequences to our sin. 
So if we sin, we may face some natural consequences to that. But that doesn't mean if our heart is right, that, you know, that we can't still receive blessing from God. Another challenge, and we see this in Scripture all over the place. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, uh, we see this. And in Job, we see this. But this, you know, what about the wicked who prosper? You know, you know, wait a second, if, if the, you know, the descendants of Ham, if our fathers, if there's a curse, if there's a curse on those who do evil things and have a prideful and a hard heart, then why do we see these people who are of hard hearts, who have not surrendered their life to Jesus, prospering in our world? It can create some tension for us. We think, hey, this is not fair. Why are the evil blessed? And in short, again, God loves sinners. We're all evil, and God desires that none should perish. And so he continues to pursue everyone, even the wicked and the evil. We can sometimes ask, because when we see the evil prosper, why should we even try? I mean, why do I try to be so good? I mean, it doesn't do me any good, right? And this is a reality, too, that those of us who are blessed sometimes don't experience the prosperity of our world. And so we have to keep in mind that there are physical blessings, but there's also eternal blessings. God is always trying to open up our minds to the spiritual realities around us, not just the physical realities. The most blessed people in the world are not the richest. Not those who have the most stuff. Always the most blessed are the ones who know Jesus. Know Jesus. All right, worship team, come up. Just one final thought. My encouragement to all of us is to recognize that you too can be a hero. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed as I read some of the stories of scripture, maybe you are too, that like so often, like the hero isn't trying to be a hero. He's just following Jesus. Often has no idea the decision that they make is going to have this massive impact. And and so I just want to encourage you that You don't have to be perfect to be a hero. Like, you can be a hero of faith even though you still struggle with sin. Because it's not about whether you sin or not, it's about what you do with that sin. How do you respond to it? You know, the reality is, is too many of us think we're too holy. Oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I sinned. Me? I'm so good. I would have never sinned. I can't believe I did that. And then it destroys us. I went through this. I, man, I remember, I, man, I did some things that I never, I mean, one of those things you, you pray, I'm not going to get into the details, but, you know, just to spare you. If you want to know about it, I can talk about it. But anyway, so, uh, uh, you know, as a, you know, 20-year-old, you know, you, get, you pray these things, you say, you talk to have these conversations, I'll never do that. I'll never make that sin. I'll never fall into that trap. And then a few years later, I'm like in it, and I'm just like, I'm just shocked 
but God wasn't shocked. Like, hey, we're sinners. We still are. We're still struggling with that. When we get to eternity, then we can be shocked by sin, but we don't have to worry about it because we're not going to be shocked by sin because that's done. But until we get there, let's not be shocked by our sin. Certainly, we don't want to just give in to it either, though. We recognize, no, I am sinful. Lord, help me. I need you. I can't do this without you. That's the choice. That's the response. It's humility. It's it's a tender heart. We are filled with pride in our world right now. And it's not just about sinful actions. It's about sinful thoughts and beliefs. The assumptions that we, the presumption that we have about other people and their views and their perspectives in this world and their, whether or not they're in the kingdom or not based on what they're doing on the outside or what they believe or who they voted for. Our world is filled with pride. Our churches are filled with pride. We are filled with pride. Can we do something about it? Yeah. We can recognize our wretchedness. But also recognize that we worship a God who uses wretched people. And so we just bow our knee and say, oh Lord, help me again. I'm fallen. I can't get up. I need you. All right. Stand and we'll sing a song or two and I'll come back with a closing passage.
Father, we, we are so amazed at your amazing grace and goodness to us. Lord, we're just so filled with pride. We just think we know it all. We, we just we think we're smarter than you. We think we're more powerful than you. It, just these things slip into us all the time. We think we're better than everybody else. Lord, it's just so ugly, yet you choose to continue to pursue us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remain humble and tender towards you. Lord, I pray that for us that have maybe had really difficult families and we're dealing with that generational curse of trying to fight off what's normal. Help us, Lord. We, we need you to help to reveal to us truth, to, to, to replace the old normal with the new normal, the real normal, the normal that you want for us. And Lord, for us who've been privileged to grow up in families that do love you and experience that blessing, Lord, help us to not take that for granted, to think that somehow we're, you know, shielded from ever making a mistake. Lord, we want to choose you for ourselves each day. Lord, help us to see our sin the way you see it as, yes, definitely evil and ugly, but also not something that's going to keep us from you being able to use us. So Lord, we repent, we confess and we repent, and then we move on and follow you again for your glory. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of the Lord of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chid, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over and it is gone, and, it places no, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. 
Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless. Have a great day.